Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring issues related to leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's Value Program, offering group discounts to nursing teams of 10 or more on AACN membership, certification, or conference attendance, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. Hi, everyone. Connie Barden here, and I'm really looking forward to a conversation today with my colleague, Sarah Wells, who works here at AACN. Sarah is a clinical practice specialist at AACN, and Sarah, I can't wait to dive into this topic with you. Welcome, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me here today, Connie. It's a real honor to finally get to speak with you. Oh, great. Well, our topic really, in a few minutes, has to do with staffing. But before we do that, let's hear a little bit about you and sort of your journey as a nurse, how you got to be here. You work at AACN, as we said. Um, Who are you? Where'd you come from? And how the heck are you involved in this topic around staffing that we're going to talk about? Well, thank you so much, Connie. Um, it was, it's was it been quite a journey, I have to say. So I started nursing in 2011, graduated in 2010. Um, I did a master's in tree CNL program. I was jumped right into the emergency department, which is truly my first love, I think, for nursing. I stayed there for about 12 years. I've worked in a wide variety of emergency departments, specializing in pediatrics, um, stroke care, trauma care, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then last summer, um, I got the opportunity to kind of transition and pivot a little bit. And um, it was early last year uh, that um, I started the work with the nurse staffing think tank. I was tapped on the shoulder to become a volunteer participant um, to help contribute to this incredible national work group that was really focused on creating a document that was uh, offered real-time solutions that could be implemented in about anywhere from three to 18 months at healthcare facilities across the country um, to help find solutions to mitigate the nurse staffing crisis that we're facing. And then after that initial group, I was then asked to stay on and work for the Nurse Staffing Task Force, which was another um, interdisciplinary national work group that was tasked with trying to, again, find innovative solutions to the nurse staffing crisis at a bigger level, kind of a higher thinking, bigger picture, um, policy legislative sort of influence level. And during that work, I really just fell in love with the work that AACN was doing as one of the partner organizations backing that work. And I got the opportunity to start working here at the American Association of Critical Care Nurses sort of a dream. And so I finished the back half of that work with the Nurse Staffing Task Force as a staff member um, at AACN. Um, And then um, I've just done a lot of advocacy work also in my career. I've done some national campaigns to uh, increase awareness about workplace violence against healthcare workers. Um, I've done a national work during COVID um, crisis to um, source PPE and to get it to frontline workers. And so advocacy has just been kind of part of my nursing heart. And I just am really grateful to have had the opportunity to uh, kind of try to influence change and find solutions here at AACN. Well, you know, this is our leadership podcast series. So it certainly sounds like I've got the right person here to talk to anybody who's doing all the things you're talking about. And uh, certainly leading through advocacy is a leader in my book. So yay, I can't wait to pick your brain a little bit more about this. Um, you know, and in retrospect, why the heck did we name one a think tank, the NESA task force? It is so hard <laughs> to keep those 
separate, isn't it? It's a tongue twister. It is a real challenge. And so if I get confused during our chat, just please correct me. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll call each other on that. So <laughs> that'd be great. So the first one was the shorter, shorter lived group with for shorter term solutions called the Partners for Nurse Staffing Think Tank. That wrapped up first or second quarter of 2022. And then the one that just wrapped up was the staffing task force. And that's, I think we're going to focus mostly on that one today to share with people the outcomes from that task force. And one of the things that I know the task force did early on was to even define appropriate staffing. So that seems like a good place to start. Tell us a little bit about this definition and how we came around that. Absolutely. So um, the words matter is one of the biggest lessons I think I worked uh, learned in this ex, uh, work experience. Um, the definition of words matter, what words we use matter. And so really early on in the work we did um, with the Think Tank um, and the task force, we came up with operational definitions of terms. And so for the task force specifically, um, we came up with the definition of what appropriate staffing is. Because if you ask me as a direct care nurse in the ER, that might be very different than what a direct care nurse in the ICU environment might um, answer. Very different from what a nurse leader might say. Very different from what a finance person might say versus C-suite, right? Um, So our definition of appropriate staffing um, is that it's a dynamic process that aligns the number of nurses, their workload, expertise, and resources with patient needs in order to achieve quality patient outcomes within a healthy work environment. And what I really like to um, emphasize to people who are kind of learning for the first time about the staffing work that AACN has been a part of um, is that we are not, it's not about numbers necessarily of patients or nurses, but it's about what is best for the patients and what is best for the nurses and their skill sets and also the other staff that is helping support them because nursing does not in a silo work in healthcare. We work, as I always say, tell people that healthcare is the ultimate team sport. And so you have all your support staff, um, your CNAs, technicians that are helping um, your, your ancillary staff and other departments. So PT, OT, phlebotomy, lab, pharmacy, and all your medical providers. And so you have to look at like, what is the acuity of your patient? What other resources do you have in your organization? And what is also best for the clinician? Because we brought in that healthy work environment piece to appropriate staffing definition because we also know that if the clinician is not well, if the clinician is not safe physically, mentally, that it's going to be a huge dynamic change and shift in what the uh, resources needed to uh, deliver the appropriate and best care to support optimal health outcomes for those patients. And so it is just this huge dynamic idea of what appropriate staffing is. And I think those are the components that a lot of people don't get when they think of appropriate staffing. A lot of times they're just like, it's this number of people for this number of patients. And it's just so much more complex than that. And we also have to bring not just the patients in focus about what appropriate staffing is, but the clinician and how we're going to support that nurse to be uh, in a healthy work environment, supported and safe during that patient care also. I really like what you said. It's about what's best for patients and for nurses. If you've still got it in front of you, I want to ask you again, 
because it's nice and concise and tight. Can you read that definition again <laughs> of appropriate staffing? Because I really think that's a great underpinning for all the places we're going to go in our conversation. Absolutely. Um, the a group worked really hard for this definition, so I bet they're going to be really excited that I'm going to read it exactly as it says on the paper. So appropriate staffing is a dynamic process that aligns the number of nurses, their workload, expertise and resources with patient needs in order to achieve quality patient outcomes within a healthy work environment. And I also mentioned this is that, you know, what is appropriate staffing in an urban teaching facility hospital with all the bells and whistles available is going to be very different than what's appropriate staffing at a critical access hospital in Montana. And so we also have to think about these recommendations had to be inclusive of all the healthcare environments we have in the United States. And mm -hmm. so I think this really does kind of fit the bill. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. Um, and it's not saying that numbers don't matter. Numbers do matter. We talked about that, but a whole bunch of other things matter as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. You, you gave us a great overview of that. I know in the task force work, which was the longer term and recently wrapped up work, uh, the framework is that there are five imperatives uh, that help nurses and their leaders to guide the journey towards appropriate staffing. Can you tell us a little bit about the overview of those five imperatives? Absolutely. And those imperatives, there are five, and they're not in numbered, which I really like on the document. They are none is more important than the other, and they all have to be addressed, we believe, to successfully mitigate the nurse staffing crisis and finding those solutions. So those imperatives are reform the work environment, innovate the models for care delivery, establish staffing standards that ensure quality care, improve regulatory efficiency, and value the unique contribution of nurses. And each of those touches on the other, and it's kind of like if you just picked one and pursued it, would that solve staffing. And you could say, it might help, but without all those other pieces, we really can't find uh, sustainable solutions because it's not just about fixing what is today. Because that's what I think that's what's happened a lot during the COVID pandemic crisis is that we had very unique challenges. We were doing our best to meet them, but over time it wasn't sustainable, right? Because nurses, like we saw, are burning out in huge numbers. Um, now we have um, survey data that says that uh, huge numbers of nurses are planning to leave the workforce in the next so many years. And so we have to find a way not only to fix the shortage that we have now, but to also find sustainable solutions moving forward. And I personally believe that we can't afford to lose a single nurse in any specialty. And I really think there's a place for every nurse um, that wants to work in healthcare. And so I think by approaching all of these imperatives holistically, um, we can help achieve the goal of keeping all the nurses we have and finding a space for nurses who want to work and continue to work. You know, you made me think of when we uh, crafted the standards for a healthy work environment, there's six standards around there. Um, skill communication, true collaboration, et cetera. And we said the same thing. They're not in any particular order. They're all important and all need to be tended to 
to uh, on the journey to creating a healthy work environment. So that's what I'm hearing you say in here. There are five very clear imperatives, which we're going to dig into in a second. Absolutely. And um, these can all yeah. be referenced in a white paper document that uh, hmm. we have put out. And so if you are listening, you can definitely Google nurse staffing task force imperatives and find that very easily online. Um, it's a very robust document that we're going to just hit the highlights of today, but there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I love that term, robust. That means it's long, y'all, so be prepared, but it's good. (laughs) It's got a bunch of references at the end that makes it a little longer, but the great thing is all these imperatives that we're going to be talking about are summarized right at the beginning, so you you can get them and you can really get the flavor of it. We're going to come back to talk about what nurses ought to do with this, but I want to dive a little bit into some of those specific imperatives that you mentioned. One you mentioned is to reform the work environment what the heck does that mean? Like break that down for us in terms of what does that mean? How would we get started, et cetera? That's a big one. And I think um, foundational to this work. So the work environment is everything that affects the physical and psychological safety for the nurse. And it also means that we need to make sure that direct care nurses not only are central to everything we're doing to help reform the nurse environment, but also that they're at the table when making decisions about how to improve staffing, finding staffing solutions, and how to make their work environment better. Because I truly feel that whoever's your best resource is going to be the person that is the focus of that work. It's kind of like when we have patients who have chronic conditions and we're trying to figure out all these different ways to address their work symptoms and issues, often we forget to ask the patient, what has worked for you in the past? What do you think works best for you? And so it's kind of that same idea. So with reforming the work environment, we definitely want to bring uh, direct care nurses into the decision-making space to help figure out um, what is best for them. Make sure that you have those professional governments committees and other uh, decision-making groups so that you have a diverse um, group of people who also represent the targeted population, which is those direct care nurses, to help finding those staffing, um, those innovative staffing approaches. We also want to make sure that there are safety management systems and programs that foster a healthy work environment and support not just physical, but psychological safety and well-being, and making this um, core for staffing um, and staffing programs. It's not a secret that direct care nurses are getting beat up on um, physically, verbally, mentally. There is a huge issue uh, for physical safety, but also psychological safety. Um, We've had a long history of professional incivility amongst nursing staff. Um, A very famous one is like the culture focus of nurses eating their young, more seasoned nurses, not being maybe as supportive as they could to younger nurses, um, all of those things. There's many, many examples of that, but we have to make sure that um, nurses feel safe in all respects. And we also have to make sure that nurse leaders are supported and have the resources they need to create this change, to sustain healthy work environments, because um, just as important as it is to have direct care nurses as part of the decision-making group to make decisions about what is best for direct care nurses, the people at the top of that um, leadership hierarchy, nurse leaders, need to have all the support and resources that they need to do it because it doesn't help if direct care nurses are saying we need X, Y, Z, 
if the nurse leader is not empowered with resources or um, agency of influence, you know, to create those changes. And so it really is, um, I think, a holistic approach that will best help meet those um, needs to reforming the work environment. And I would say leaders need support from all directions. So not only do they need support from those, quote unquote, above them, if you look at it as a hierarchy, leaders need great followers. You know, I really think some of the hardest jobs in the hospital are middle management, like nurse managers and that kind of thing. Got sort of people in administration sort of chewing at you on one side and staff people chewing at you from the other. But um, supporting our leaders when we are staff nurses and in really helping them be successful seems to me to be a part of this as well. Yes. And I think um, that's where it really comes back to what is a nurse leader. There's nurse leadership in very formal roles, you know, directors, assistant directors, managers. But we also have to think about the potential of a nurse to lead at wherever they are in their career. And I think, you know, direct care nurses lead from the bedside every shift. They lead the patient care that is delivered every day. They um, lead the support staff that might be helping collaborate with them to deliver that excellent, exceptional patient care. Um, And then they also lead with their individual influence when helping support nurse leaders in more formal roles. So they can lead by example, right? Like with support. So offering the support to those managers, to those directors, to that C-suite. And I always feel that um, unit-based councils are so valuable for that reason. When you have representation from all of your different groups in your staffing, especially direct care nurses, and then also having nurse leaders or educators, managers, all those more formal roles, to have opportunities to have safe space for open discussion about what changes need to be made and also how to make an agreement of like, how to support that change and ultimately how to support whoever that kind of pinnacle leader or leaders are Mm -hmm. um, helping support them so that they can have consensus or as close to consensus as possible for everyone. um, So to speak under them in the hierarchy kind of of the staffing uh, dynamic. Yeah. You mentioned earlier your view that, you know, there, there should be work for all nurses to do in our healthcare system because there's so much that needs to be done. And there, I would agree, there are places for nurses to lead, no matter what your seat is on the bus, so to speak. Just like you're leading here as a clinical practice specialist at AACN, sort of a non-traditional role, but you're doing amazing work, uh, working with these national groups and all the other stuff that you do in your job. One of the other imperatives that you mentioned is this thing of innovation and care delivery models. Tell us a little bit about that one. So with innovating um, care delivery models, so healthcare is evolving faster, I think, than any of us even have an idea of. And we have to keep up. Um, our patients are changing. Their acuity is changing. Um, the treatment delivery models are changing. And um, we have to be ever cognizant of how can we change and innovate our care delivery models to keep up with the the technology that's being integrated into healthcare, with the evolving needs of our patients and the evolving opportunities to meet our patients' needs in um, different uh, environments. For example, I think a lot of patients that used to stay inpatient, you know, many years ago in the hospital setting now are more and more being offered um, in-home care. 
And so the patients that are staying in the hospital are a much higher acuity than maybe was we were seeing 10, 20 years ago. And so to modernize those care delivery models and make sure that they're inclusive, evidence-informed, and technologically advanced. And so some of the things that we are recommending is making sure that we leverage new technologies and those technology resources to help decrease nurses' workload and cognitive burden. Some of those examples might be things like virtual nursing and telecritical care, um, opportunities for nurses in a remote capacity to help um, take on uh, patient care tasks to help free up the in-person direct care nurse, um, things like uh, admission assessments, discharge instructions, finding that uh, second nurse sign off for blood or anything like that. Imagine if you could just page somebody with a text and they could just pop in on a camera, things like that. How much? How many steps would that save for our nurses? How much time would that save? Um, we also want to make sure that all of the um, technology that we're looking to leverage, there's so much now with AI and predictive technology, so many incredible things that we could be using. We want to make sure that they're researched, mm-hmm. pilot tested, and making sure that their outcomes are being measured and making sure that those um, technologies are really addressing the needs of patients and also how to um, innovate um, staffing and making sure that the impact on nurse and patient outcomes are positive, right? So just because you have a new shiny toy, putting it out in the wild might not always do the thing that you're hoping it to do, right? So we need to make sure that these choices to innovate care delivery models are evidence-based and well-researched. We also need to make sure that we're looking at not just our staffing um, issues and nursing, but also all the ancillary staff and supportive disciplines and seeing what are their staffing capacities, what's their bandwidth, are there things that they could be taking off of our plate and offering them and maybe things that we could collaborate on stuff more. I think nursing, I heard someone say it recently, um, you know, if there's something that needs to be done and it doesn't have someone assigned to it, who gets assigned it? Nurses. Exactly. Um, And so I think making nursing not the junk drawer of the room, we really got to start thinking about how to create uh, decision protocols on task assignments that make sense and also optimize every individual that we have in our healthcare team or technology that we might be using. And we want to make sure that these innovative care delivery models have metrics that we can measure them on because you need to not just test them at the beginning, but you also need to test them going forward. And we need to make sure that there is a return on investment because a lot of technology, especially implementing technology and integrating technology in healthcare, it's a big upfront investment for people because it's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of things you have to buy, connectivity you have to like plan out and um, build out. And so we really need to make sure that this investments are um, reasonable, logical, and positively impactful in making sure that our patients are being positively impacted and also our staffing. Because I do think um, with over 11 years in the emergency department setting, um, I saw a lot of things come in and implemented that were meant to be helpful for nursing workflows and sometimes just caused more work. And so we need to make sure that we're investing in the right programming and making sure that they're sustainable and that they continue to be positive impacts. Well, I think also what you're saying is, I'll say this, you don't have to agree, but I would say pretty much never should a technology that is going to impact nurses and patients be brought in without nurses' input. 
I mean, that would just be cray cray. And yet it happens. <laughs> Imagine making yeah. product and technology decisions without involving the people who are going to use it. And that kind of harkens back, Connie, like what we were saying, like um, direct care nurses need to be a part of decision-making processes. And so I think that really goes back to um, also technology and for example, me individually, I've sometimes there's technology companies that reach out to me to say, hey, can you look at our product? And what I love to ask is like, um, if this is a nursing, anything nursing related, I say, do you have a nurse as part of the um, product development team? Or do you have a nurse board or advisory nurse position? And so often they say, no, we don't have any nurses on our team, but we're looking into that, you know, and I go, you know, if a nurse wasn't part of it, I I can almost guarantee there's going to be a lot of issues there. And we also need to think about like, there's so much technology out there that we could also be applying for like nurse well-being, um, also uh, assessing patient acuity and nursing tasks and workloads. So some of that technology, I think a lot of people just think of medical devices or physical mm-hmm. things that they can bring into the nursing care environment, but a lot of it's software and this predictive technology and some of these AI integrations. And so we also need to look at that. And people are very excited about AI and how mm-hmm. that's going to you know, revolutionize healthcare. But again, we need to test it. We need to see what the impacts are. And then we need to reassess, is that technology really working for us over time? Yeah, I agree. And I would say having a nurse in from the very beginning, absolutely in the hospitals, but agree the company should have them in over there could be a real, I believe, efficient way and cost saving way of doing it. Because I've seen so many technologies in my days and it's like all these bells and whistles and it can do this, that and the other. And like, yeah, that's nice, but we don't need it. Exactly. We don't we don't need to pay for that. No. Exactly. Yeah, so many things I could give a lot of examples and nurses can see right through that stuff and really be good advisors Absolutely. on technology development and purchasing and all that. And in that way, also um, great stewards of their financial resources. And so that I think also empowers not just the nurse, but the organization to invest in offering nurses that time and access to being part of those conversations because a nurse not only will tell you how to spend money, but they're definitely going to tell you how to save money. Because oh, yeah. we, we can tell you, you can cut that corner and you cannot cut that corner, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, I also like, it. I have a toddler, Connie, and mm-hmm. every time someone wants to bring them a toy, I'm like, did your kids or a kid, you know, play with it? Um, because my toddler is going to destroy it if it is it hasn't been appropriately proofed. Or having a dog and having like a chew toy. I see all those videos of like dogs just devouring it. Um, I feel like nursing might could be like those testing opportunities. Like has, how much has a nurse gotten to bang around with this piece of technology? It Can I break it in five minutes or is it really going to work and help me? So I think that's kind of another analogy we could use in this situation. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Let me move on because I want to ask you about the imperative that kind of makes my head blow off here. So I'm looking to you to have a great interpretation. So there's one about Improving regulatory efficiency, is that like an oxymoron, regulatory inefficiency? I don't even know if those words go together. So can you tell us a little bit about the intent behind that one and how we can kind of talk to our leaders about this one? Yes. So focusing on regulatory efficiency is a hard one, but how it goes on to touch on licensing and working to the top of licensing, I think is the main thing. And there's a lot in this task force um, work that is very policy driven, very legislative driven. But what I think nurse leaders in the hospital setting could really take from this um, imperative is that we really want fundamentally 
um, all RNs, LPN, LVNs, and advanced practice nurses to be working at the full scope of their licensure. And I hear this all the time of nurses in different facilities um, complaining that they're being asked to do stuff out of the scope of their practice. Or they're like, why am I being asked to do this when like an LPN could be doing it? And so that's a really great, um, I think, indicator of how complex and how mismanaged uh, um, scope of practice work is um, being managed in a lot of hospital settings. So we have a nursing shortage across the board. We have, um, but we have lots of different levels of nursing. And so what can an LPN do? And maybe a hospital historically hasn't hired LPNs, but maybe this is a great time to start thinking about, are there things that LPNs can be doing in certain areas and units of my hospital um, in collaboration with RNs? Um, where do I need an RN specifically? And where can I have an advanced practice nurse maybe to help me in a position where maybe I'm having a provider shortage of a certain specialty? And then we want to make sure that one, that people are being educated all throughout the healthcare community about the state-specific RN and LPN scopes of practice because they vary from state to state and even from facility to facility sometimes. And we want to make sure those hospital policies and procedures for LPNs, RNs, and APRNs practice um, are in line with what the nurse practice acts of each state can do. And so I think what a lot of that information, well, that was a lot of information, but what I think nurse leaders need to hear is that you should maybe be thinking and evaluating and assessing your hospital policies and procedures. Are you using each role, APRNs, RNs, and LPN, LVNs, to the maximum of their scope of practice? Are there opportunities to bring in maybe LPNs where you haven't been hiring them in the past or maybe associate's degree nurse? I know some hospitals only hire bachelor's prepared RNs. Mm -hmm. um, can we start thinking about associate degree nurses? How can we fill the gaps in staffing? Maybe we can rearrange some things. And then also thinking like if you have a virtual nursing program, are there things a nurse could virtually do? Or maybe an APRN could come help out with. And so when you start thinking about all those things and then thinking also, do your hospital policy and procedure match those um, practice acts of each state? I feel like there will be a lot of gaps when people start doing that assessment. And then when they start educating themselves on what those different roles can do and possibly finding um, answers to some of the challenges and staffing that they have been facing in the past. You know, this thing of top of license practice gets people all wiggy, like, oh, the nurse is going to take over. They're going to do all these things that are, you know, scary, that are not nursing things and so forth. So what I hear you saying is this stuff is regulated. It's regulated by the state, by the boards of nurses, nursing and the nurse practice acts. We're not going to go make up stuff that we shouldn't be doing, but it's possible that there are gaps in institutions or in states where nurses of all ilks could be doing more and they're not because we haven't really studied the scope of practice that nurses should have. So it's worth it just to sort of do an inventory and be sure we're optimizing things. Ultimately, we're not trying to take jobs from anyone. We're trying to fill right. jobs that no one's filling, right? And so how do we shuffle around the talent available in your area? Maybe you don't have a lot of BSN programs in your area, but you do have some very active LPN, LVN, or associate degree programs in your area. How can you match um, your vacancies 
to be able to optimize the supply of talent that's in your area. That's more, I think, where we're going with this. And and one example is um, I work also in diagnostic imaging. So I talk to a lot of diagnostic imaging nurses, radiology nurses, and I've heard opportunities where um, there are clinics that are utilizing um, more LPNs and LVNs with an IV certification Mm -hmm. with uh, maybe one or two RNs there, you know, to oversee them. And they're finding that works for them much better than trying to recruit RN only for those DI nurse jobs. And so collaboratively, they're able to um, diversify a little bit the licensure model or makeup of their nursing group there, but they're able to still give the best care for their patients and also have better staffing for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarah, the, the last imperative I want to ask you about is this thing of capturing the unique contribution of nurses. And we've heard this lingo for years and years. We say it sounds great, but what's your spin on what that really means and why it's important? Yeah. So I think nursing everyone values nursing as a community, right? Like we're the most trusted uh, profession year after year on the Gallup poll and people just love nurses and love to give us parades and things like that. Great, good, wonderful. But what is our actual value? Um, What are we able to charge for? Because it really comes down to dollars and cents sometimes, right? So like what, a lot of times when a patient goes into the hospital, there are block charges for nursing care right? But if you look at medical providers, when they're charging, they're often charging for all these different procedures, all these different um, types of engagements they've had with education or assessments with the patient, but nursing doesn't get to charge uniquely for those things. So we need to go in, but think about all the things that nursing does. Um, We do procedures, we do assessments, we do education, we do all kinds of things. And so there's a lot of work to be done to develop and capture what that value is. And there's a lot of different ways possibly to do that. But what we're hoping that um, nurse leaders and direct care nurses will do is advocate for the development and utilization of approaches of approaches that quantify the impact of nursing on organizational performance and outcomes. Also for um, consideration and adoption of unique nurse identifier systems and collaborating with payers to explore health system payment models that reflect the value of nursing. Because we can also research this all day, but if we're not collaborating with those people that are in charge of the dollars and cents, we may not ever connect those dots. And so it's really important um, moving forward uh, when we're looking at the fiscal impact of nursing. And I also mention again, the opportunity uh, of value saved, money saved, and finances saved by nursing. Yeah. I think that is almost equally as important. But um, those are really important components and data points that we ha- have just barely started to explore as a healthcare community. Hmm. You know what? This is a lot. Um, there's a lot in that document. And the whole complicated topic of nurse staffing is really, it can like, overwhelm you sometimes. So when you sit back and think of all this journey that you've been on with this and the things that you've learned being on staff here at ACN and so forth, and you look to the future, what are some things that give you hope, Sarah? I think the things that give me the most excitement is that we are coming together. Like this work group was, um, I think, 30, 40 plus members interdisciplinary from across the spectrum of um, roles in healthcare. So we're talking 
direct care nurses, we're talking nurse leaders, we're talking C-suite, we're talking finance folks, so non-nursing, we're talking about um, patient care advocates, so we have the patient perspective involved, um, we had HR, we had technology, I mean, we had everybody, I feel like, um, just about, and what gave me hope is that they intentionally came together, we met every month for nine months um, on this particular work group with the task force, and we came out with this big old document of the nurse staffing task force imperatives and recommendations, um, and which is truly uh, a roadmap forward for finding staffing solutions and actual tools that people can take back to their organization. And I really encourage direct care nurses to look up this document, nurse leaders to look up this document because this is something that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to brainstorm and try to come up with some innovative ideas. This document has so many recommendations that you can take right now and implement at your facility and a lot of recommendations on areas that you can exert your influence to try to go to the next step because this is just the beginning of finding solutions to the nurse staffing crisis. Um, this is not the end-all be-all solution. Uh, I am sad to say that we did not fix the nurse staffing crisis by ourselves. Really? Wow. I know, I know, <laughs> shocking. But um, this is a foundational document that I think can help help us build the path forward um, into the future of healthcare. That situation is going to continuously evolve and change, and we're going to have to reassess where we are in five years, three years, two years, six months. Um, and we're going to continuously have to pivot, but we came together and we made this work happen. And I know so much more work is going to happen in the future. So yeah. that's really what excites me about the world of staffing. Absolutely. Now you've probably got this imprinted on your brain, but just in case people want to go and look this up again, can you tell us how to find this uh, on the on the web if people are looking for this document? Absolutely. So um, just go to Google or your search engine of choice yep. um, and just put in nurse staffing task force imperatives, recommendations, and actions. And it is a document that was worked on collaboratively between the American Association of Critical Care Nurses and the American Nurses Association. And you're going to find so many pages of goodness that I hope you can take back to your unit and to your leaders um, to help hopefully foster some good discussions and hopefully get you thinking about a ways to fix your own staffing challenges. I love your phrase, pages of goodness. That's I really ought to tell the team that that's what you called it. Sarah Wells, my colleague here at ACN, I can't thank you enough. You know, I just ask you what gives you hope. And I'll tell you what, listening to you talk about all this stuff gives me hope. One of the first things you said is words matter. And your words in this chat that we've just had really matter because even though I was involved in the work in a, a way, kind of like you were, but I learned a lot just listening to you translate this. And I hope the folks listening got that too it really brought some color and depth to this work and brought it to life. So thank you, Sarah, for being here. And uh, it was a joy to talk to you as always. Always a pleasure, Connie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Value Program, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.